Thanks for listening to KBUT Community Radio for the entire Gunnison Valley. I'm KBUT News Director Christopher Biddle, and tonight we bring you a broadcast of the 2020 Crested Butte News Candidates Forum. There are two seats and four candidates running for the Gunnison Board of County Commissioners. Board Chair Jonathan Hauk, a Democrat, is seeking another term. He served as a county commissioner since 2012. His challenger is former school administrator Trudy Vader, an unaffiliated candidate that tends to lean conservative. Vader's family has deep roots in the Gunnison Valley ranching community. Liz Smith, another Democrat, is also an incumbent, but just barely. She was appointed to the board in July following the resignation of John Mesner, who now works for the State Oil and Gas Commission. Smith is a professor of English and Humanities at Western Colorado University. Smith faces Dave Taylor, a Republican, a former CPA, and the owner of the KOA campground near Gunnison. He's also a local school bus driver. He is known colloquially as KOA Dave. The forum was moderated by Dennis Hall of the Crested Butte News and recorded before a very small live audience at the Crested Butte Center for the Arts on Sunday, October 11th. It was the third forum to put these candidates together. The fourth and final debate will be held virtually, hosted by Western Colorado University on October 15th. For more on election season, including voting procedures, ballot initiatives, and full audio recordings of debates, go to kbut.org. Without further ado, we'll get to the forum. The candidates were asked to prepare opening statements before things were opened up to the public for questions. Dave Taylor was asked to start off. Thank you to Crescent Butte News and the Crescent Butte Center for the Arts for hosting this candidates forum. And thank you for all you in attendance. My name's Dave Taylor running for county commissioner in District 1. My common name is KOA Dave. I grew up in a suburb of Chicago. Uh, my parents were supportive enough to let me go to Colorado State University where I graduated with a degree in accounting. Went to work for a big eight public accounting firm in the day. Passed the CBA exam in 1982. Uh, and have pretty much been in business for 41 years of my life. Uh, it has spanned working in public accounting uh, from 1997 till 2012. I was the ma majority shareholder in a temporary labor company in Denver. My wife and I have owned the KOA campground in Gunnison since 2004. This is our 17th season. I've been an active uh, member of the community, currently serving on the school board. Uh, I have driven a school bus, and I continue to drive a school bus. And I look forward to further serving our community as a county commissioner. All right, uh, next up, I'd like to hear from um, uh, Liz Smith, please. Well, thank you to Crescent Butte News and KBUT and the Center for the Arts for hosting this forum, and to those of you attending or tuning in. I'm serving as your county commissioner for District 1, and I'm seeking a return to office this November because I am passionate about public service. I know issues like food insecurity and near homelessness firsthand, and these are issues many people in Gunnison County are experiencing for the first time. I lost a brother-in-law this past July due to the effects of the shutdown and pandemic and what it's done to people's mental health. These problems aren't abstract to me. 
And there's nothing more important I can think of doing right now than serving this community. Much of my opponent's attention has been focused on the county's budget, which is award-winning. For the ninth consecutive year, we've been recognized by the Government Finance Officers Association for transparency and best practices in budgeting. For the third year in a row, Gunnison County receives, has received a, a certificate of excellence in data-driven performance management. I had to look this up, but there are 3,141 counties in the United States. We are one of only five or six counties annually to receive this distinction. I want everyone to understand that Gunnison County does an exemplary job managing our resources and tax dollars. This job is bigger than a balance sheet. I pursued a PhD and ran a technical writing and editing business because I have a deep and persistent desire to learn. Having served as your commissioner since July, I can tell you that's what this job demands. I have the intellectual curiosity and aptitude, professional background, demeanor, and drive to serve Gunnison County, and I hope to earn your vote this election. Thank you very much, uh, Ms. Smith. Uh, next, please, uh, Trudy Vader. Hi, I'm Trudy Vader. I'm your unaffiliated candidate um, for county commissioner. I'm a fourth generation Gunnison Knight. Um, 25 years ago, as a single pa parent, I was forced to leave the county in order to seek employment and to raise my children. I spent 20 years in education in small rural poverty schools where the population was mainly um, Hispanic, running from 60 to 80 percent, and the poverty level was running from 60 to 90 percent. I have a degree from CU of Denver in uh, policies and leadership studies. This is a formal degree. And I have eight years experience in school administration, which I feel um, will cross over beautifully into the county commissioner's position. Because the one thing about education is you have to identify the needs of the children quickly, and then you have to come up with a solution and um, fix the problem in a timely manner. Thank you. Thank you, Trudy. And lastly, please, uh, Commissioner Jonathan Haug. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. It's uh, nice to be here in the new Center for the Arts. Thanks to uh, CB News as well as KBUT for the opportunity, and most importantly, for those of you that are here tonight and the folks that will be listening tomorrow night. Thanks for your interest in participation in democracy. Um, I'm Jonathan Hauk, and it's been my honor to serve as your county commissioner, and I look forward to laying out tonight a clear argument um, to you why you can trust me once again with your vote. Um, as a bit of a background piece, I was born and raised in Baltimore, and I have called Gunnison County home for the last 28 years. I'm a 1996 Western grad, and I spent many years as a teacher and educator here in Gunnison County. I taught high school history and civics uh, for the school district for over 10 years, and then was the GCSAP educational coordinator, where, where um, along with my good friend Brooke Harless, we started the Choice Pass program. During those times, I served on the Gunnison Planning Commission. I served on council. I was the mayor of Gunnison. And since 2012, when the citizens of Gunnison County elected me to the position of county commissioner, I focused my time and my talent serving you as your full-time county commissioner. Many of you know my wife, Roanne. She was born and raised right here in Crested Butte, and there's our Valley's naturopathic doctor. Uh, together, we own two small businesses, the Main Street Clinic in Gunnison, as well as Acclimate Mountain Sport Drink. Um, we have two great, wonderful teenage kids, Iris and Porter, uh, and they go to school down in Gunnison, where we live. 
But tonight I hope we can focus on the truly important issues facing our community, COVID, housing, managing and protecting our public lands, access to healthcare, both physical and mental, as well as our economic resiliency are all areas worthy of discussion. Climate change, drought, those type of issues continue to impact our water supply, ranching, recreation, our economy. And I look forward to sharing what we've been doing and what we can do, but most importantly, I look forward to answering your questions. Thank you, Jonathan, I appreciate it. Okay, um, we're gonna open it up uh, to questions but I reserve the right to ask the first one, so I'm gonna. And I've asked this to commissioners, candidates before. What role do you think the county commissioners should play with um, encouraging tourism in the county? Is there such a thing as too much success with bringing tourists to the valley? I b personally believe there is such a thing as too much success. How would you or would you redirect money toward education and stewardship rather than outright promotion? I think the boys who do the promotion have done, a fan, uh, they've done their job. They've done it really well. They perhaps have done it too well. So now we're experiencing a whole bunch of people here. I wonder, how would you address that situation? Uh, all of you, I'm asking all of you, might as well start with Jonathan since we started down at the other end, if that's okay. Sure. So I believe that we actually have a, a deep connection to that. Our economic base, uh, part of our economic base, among other things, is tourism and recreation. Um, when I was first a commissioner, uh, the Tourism Association kind of scattered uh, their resources to every event, every, you know, every possible thing. And what we heard from the community was a need for a focus. And uh, Paula Swenson, Phil Chamberlain, and I were serving at the time. Paula came up with a new idea of how to function the TA. It became TAP. And the focus they took was on trails. And on looking at what they can do, they were able to find uh, you know, uh, an ability to uh, focus and drive up how many folks are here. But do we have issues around overuse? Yes. Do we need to manage that? Yes. And I think when you look at what we're doing with the store committee, what we're doing with reaching out to partners like Gunnison Trails um, and the Crest Butte Conservation Corps, um, the Store Corps, and those type of organizations, we're managing that. And I think we can leverage some more of our resources in that direction. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, Trudy? Well, I think um, that's, they're doing a good job as, as far as that's concerned. And I think at this point in time, we need to really focus on what the impact of tourism is. And as I've stated before, um, in Gunnison County, six out of 10 of our workers um, are working in the four lowest paying private sectors, which are directly related to tourism and recreation. And they're making less than $30,000 a year. So I think um, we're going to not only the impact that's on the land, but the impact that is happening within the community and um, for the community and people themselves. So uh, as the efforts are going forward that Jonathan mentioned, we need to add on to that and start looking at the community impact. Thank you, Trudy. Uh, Liz, please. I'm so glad that this question came up, thank you. Um, I've actually been working, uh, having many conversations with John Norton and those of you who have been tuning in to the Board of County Commissioner meetings have probably seen me push back against TAP and their strategy or the plan that they presented to us for the 2021 year. My comments in that meeting were that I thought that we needed to redirect more of the tourism the, the, um, the LMD dollars that fund TAP into uh, mitigation because of the impact that we've seen with tourism. I, I think that we've all seen up and down the valley, all over the county, I've talked to ranchers, people in Marble, 
um, people in Crested Butte that we've just really been overrun. I, I don't know that anybody could have really expected how eager people were to get outside, and especially with how open Gunnison County was, which was fortunate for many businesses, not all, but um, I think that we need to really redirect some of those resources towards, uh, towards um, mitigating the impacts. Thank you very much, Liz. And Mr. Taylor, please. Liz, I applaud your interest in TAP, and I applaud your interest in redirect, redirecting funds to mitigation and start instead of advertising. I personally think TAP is a bloated organization that spends $636,000 of its $2.4 million budget on salaries, spends a million one hundred thousand to hire subcontractors to do its work. I am a big fan of store, and I'm a big fan of diverting a significant amount of TAP's resources to aid in mitigation. Thank you very much, Mr. Taylor. This question uh, is, is uh, basically uh, to Mr. Taylor and Ms. Vader. Uh, it's, both of you have said that you are, are running in this election because you were asked to run. Who asked you to run? Who do you hope to represent if elected? This is to Mr. Taylor and Ms. Vader. Being, being asked to run is incorrect on, on my part. Mm -hmm. I made the decision to run solely uh, by myself and had virtually no discussions with anybody outside of my family when I decided to run for county commissioner. I believe I have a unique skill set that is different from the current county commissioners that can add synergism to the board. Yes, it's heavily focused in accounting, however, with a very strong emphasis on customer service. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Vader? I don't tell other people's stories, so I'll just, um, I'll just start with Paula, uh, was definitely one who, and she, uh, Jonathan misspoke the other night, he called her a Republican. We all know Paula is a um, was a Democrat her entire time. Um, she definitely had some uh, huge concerns, and we sat down and had a conversation as to whether uh, I was a good fit to run. and come on and balance the board. I've had other people ask me, except there's been some bullying that's been going on, and I have um, many people who are afraid to stand up and support me uh, just because of the divisiveness within the county. So at this point in time, I'd rather them tell that story than me to tell that story. Thank you, Ms. Vader. This is KBUT Community Radio for the entire Gunnison Valley. Thanks for tuning in tonight. You're listening to a broadcast of the Crested Butte News Candidates Forum 2020. This was recorded before a very small live audience at the Crested Butte Center for the Arts on Sunday, October 11th. Rebroadcast here tonight on KBUT. At this point in the forum, the floor was opened up to the public for questions. The first person to ask a question should have been familiar to all four candidates. He is current county commissioner, Roland Mason. Could you state your name, please? Sure, Roland Mason. How you guys doing? Hi, Roland. Roland. How are you? 
Hey, Rowan. Um, my question is uh, around uh, the construction that's going to happen at Little Blue Canyon starting in April. And I just, my question basically is where each of you are on the issue um, as it relates to, I would say, tourism, commerce, you know, logging, emergency, um, things like that. So I just want to know where each of you stand on the, uh, the project that's coming up. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Taylor. That bottleneck has been with us for forever. It, we need to bite the bullet and think about our future. And it is going to create inconvenience over the next two years when the project is going on. But forward-looking, I think that uh, changing that road, making it safer, it's huge. That road needs to be safer and more passable, and it will help our tourism for many, many years in the future. Okay, let's just come down the line then, please, Liz. Sure, well, um, Roland and I participated in a meeting virtually about Little Blue, and which Jonathan was able to attend in person, but um, I heard a lot of the difficulties firsthand that people are going to be experiencing from closing down um, the road in order to help uh, make it safer. And I think that that's really the key thing that we need to focus on. There's, it's one of the most dangerous roads, highways in Colorado. <laughs> and this is something that has taken lives and it's something that will affect people's businesses. And I know that Arrowhead in particular, I was really struck by the commentary of people who in, in District 1 are, are really trying to express how their businesses and personal lives will be affected. So I know that this project is already slated to happen, and I think that people are working very hard to figure out how to make sure that there are windows of passable time where commute can still take place so that people can get to where they need to be and our emergency services, et cetera, can still function Thank you very much. Um, Ms. Vader? Yeah, in agreement, it is a terribly dangerous road, and I agree, we need to bite the bullet on it. It's going to be ter um, very in inconvenient, and I guess one thing that we're going to have to do is just a lot of communication. Um, people are going to be frustrated, um, but in the end, we know it's going to be a better situation. So a lot of communication and educating about times and so forth, and, and just uh, as Liz said, let's present the information to the community, why it's so critical. I, don't, I think we all know it is, and I, I think we all know we have to bite the bullet and um, invest the time and the money and the energy to get it done. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Hobb. Sure, so this is an issue we've been working on for a couple years now uh, with CDOT with our neighboring counties. I think one important piece to point out uh, is it's a $40 million project. Half of that money comes from the federal government, the other half from the state. The federal government has a time limit on when that money is available until, and so the importance of pushing through on the project uh, is there uh, because the funding's there. But we have made accommodations, uh, of course, for working with the EMS, St. Mary's, Montrose Memorial Hospital, making sure that we have contingency plans for people on regular transports plus emergencies. Uh, worked a lot with the, with the timber industry. A lot of their projects are in, near Gunnison, but they've got to get stuff to the Montrose Mill. We've got a contingency plan for them to be able to bunk, load, and deliver market uh, product to market. 
Um, and of course, we've uh, worked really closely to make sure the folks in Arrowhead, especially in the summer, have access to their community. So the project kicks off with doing the first part and then making sure Arrowhead has continuous connectivity uh, as a relief valve out of there. And we have a plan for whenever I-70 shuts down, they're able to shut down the little blue project, let traffic flow through, and not open it until we're back to, to fully full good status on I-70. So a lot of planning's gone into it. It has to happen. It's going to be inconvenient, but we're going to do it. Thank you very much. Um, Susan, you want to ask questions? Could you give us your name, please? Susan Kearns, Crested Butte. Um, I have two questions. Can I start with one and then maybe segue to the next one? Okay, thank you. I have two real passions. One is trails. Um, I helped start the Trails Commission in 1994 um, while I was a member of the Planning Commission. And I think trails have really um, come to the forefront for our recreation industry. Um, the One Valley Prosperity Project was a um, came out of trying to find a new focus for our economy after the coal dollars um, were diminished with coal mining shut down. Um, I think we are a victim of our success with um, promoting the area with the local marketing district. I want to ask this um, panel if um, how you see, rather than just mitigation for um, the impacts that we have for promotion of the area, can we see the local marketing district go away? Mr. Taylor. I, I am a proponent of totally reformatting the marketing district. Uh, my first choice would be to have the tax removed from the businesses who collect it. Um, I'm not quite so sure if I'm one person on a three-person council, I can make that happen. Um, I think uh, we have gone too afar. We are going to spend $434,000 in 2021 on the ice lab out of LMD money. Uh, we have spent uh, an immense amount of money in digital marketing that I think we've paid too much salaries to make it happen. I am totally supportive, and I'm not going to say go away, a major, major revamp of TAP. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Um, Liz. So I think that one of the important things to remember for the LMD is that it, it's, it's there to promote tourism and economic development. And I think that in addition to um, you know, some, some redirection into mitigation for impact use and you know, just this place that makes the trails and all the things that make this place so special and is, is frankly why many of us have chosen to live here. Um, but economic development, I think, is an area that is totally justified in continuing to use LMD dollars because um, we need to diversify our economy. And I think that the pandemic has shown that more, it has made that more evident than perhaps any other critical point that we've experienced as a county. So economic development, I think, really justifies, um, you know, if we can figure out ways to draw in new businesses, to promote or grow the businesses that we currently have here. Um, if that, that doesn't necessarily mean we are trying to get hordes of people here for tourism, but that money is still warranted in those areas. Thank you. 
Uh, Ms. Vader. Yeah, so I think we absolutely, uh, I don't want to throw out the, the baby with the bathwater on this as far as getting rid of it. But I do think uh, we need to pivot, and I think there are some ideas, the economic development. Um, but when we're talking about new businesses into the community, uh, we've got to talk about housing. Everything is at the top with housing. That's the number one issue uh, that we have to address because it affects the ability to get um, uh, peop uh, workers into the community um, to get into those jobs. And I agree with diversifying uh, the businesses too and looking at the economic development. I, I think we need to completely revamp TAP in a different direction. But housing has conversation. Okay, you had a follow-up? Or no, we'd like to hear from Mr. Haug. All right, Susan, nice to see you. It's been a while. Um, I think your, your concerns are, are shared by many. Um, I think one important, as Liz pointed out, uh, local marketing districts are outlined in state statute. They're approved by the voters. And so the Board of County Commissioners doesn't actually have the ability to just make it go away. That would be an action of the community. But I, I think it's important to understand that we have diversified it over time as it, over the last few years as we've been hearing, you know, wow, we're getting a lot of folks here. And so, you know, 20% of that budget now goes to the ICE Lab. And the ICE Lab is uh, co-working. It's pre-incubator and incubator opportunities for businesses. It's an accelerator that many of our local businesses have participated in to grow their business capacity. Uh, we use it to leverage opportunities with Western. It's, it's been a direct way to help grow a new MBA program at, at, the, at the university. I think the other thing that's really important as well is to, to understand that we keep moving that piece, but what we're seeing this summer is not exclusive to Gunnison County. The entire Western United States, everywhere outside, that's where people want to be because they feel safe. But we still have a lot of work to do to manage the, the type of volumes that we're seeing. And yet the, the one thing... Could you up her mic, please? Hello. Can you, can you hear me now? Stand close to it, please. The one thing that um, the local marketing district funds cannot address is housing, mm -hmm. which is kind of ironic um, because that's where our big impacts. It's, I think, um, we're so successful, especially at this end of the valley, in attracting people and with the pandemic, with so many people working remotely, um, housing prices have been driven up. Um, building prices are going up as well. Um, affordable housing is my other real passion. Um, I worked, uh, I, I've served on the regional housing, uh, affordable housing board years ago. I worked as a temp in that office. I'm pretty familiar with much of the affordable housing at both ends of the valley. Um, It's one of our most critical um, needs in the community. Um, the Regional Housing Authority has um, partnered with what used to be um, an energy efficiency, um, what was it called? With GV Heat? GV, well, it's been revamped into GV Heat, and so we have funds available for um, energy efficiency, um, remediation for, um, and there are funds available to fix problems. Um, um, Mr. Taylor, I know that you have housing in Gunnison that has some issues. There are windows that are broken. Can you address that, how you will att I got attend to it? 
I'd love to address uh, several of the, of the issues you brought up. Um, as we're talking about LMD funds, it is the Tourism and Prosperity Project, okay? If we can justify spending 20% of that money in the ICE lab in Mission Creek, Creek, everyone at this table, or not everyone, but there's been advocacy that uh, those dollars spent at the ICE lab create jobs. Well, if we don't have any place to house people for those jobs uh, through affordable housing, how, how does this all mesh, mesh together? We're promoting new business with no place for the people to live. Under the current scenario, I don't advocate this, but under the current scenario of mission creep, my, my uh, question is, why can't LMD funds be used to build affordable housing? I'll take that. Uh, Mr. Houck, you have something to say about that? Well, sure. I mean, I, I want to address the issue about the, the reason you can't do it is because in state statute, LMD and local marketing district is defined. What you can and can't do is defined, and it's two, it's two parts. It's uh, promotion of tourism or promotion of, of economic development and tourism. Housing is not. We've, we've run that trap and run that trap dry. I think, I think there's, uh, we should have a round of questions about housing, and I want to get to those questions, and I would hope each of us maybe could expand up a little bit more than a minute because it's a big issue. But I want to address Dave's point about why it can't be done. It's very clearly lined out in state statute. Thank you, Jonathan. Susan, you're done, girl. <laughs> but along those lines, I have a question here um, in this vein. Um, how do you, as commissioners and potential commissioners, see the corner at Brush Creek property uh, uh, and the recently acquired property across the highway? How do you see those um, parcels uh, playing a, a role in this housing problem, which is, is definitely a, uh, a point of contention and a great need for the county? Um, I'll start with the commissioners because they're, they sat through those meetings. <laughs> sure, so you know, being a sitting commissioner and working through Brush Creek is a challenging situation. Um, what we were able to do is, as it worked through the county process, uh, working with the other partners, Town of Crested Butte, Town of Mount Crested Butte, and CBMR, uh, there was, from the town's perspective, an importance to lower the density, and so we did. We lowered it by 25% as it came out of the process, from the proposal to where it went. It wasn't a palatable situation for the towns. They chose not to meet it at that level. The developer who was putting private money in, it's a private-public partnership to make this happen, couldn't make it happen at the numbers that the developer, or at, that the towns were suggesting. And so where we're at now is the towns um, have been challenged to maybe come up with a plan that will work on that parcel. Let me jump real quick with 15 seconds to go over to the parcel across the street. We acquired that a little over a year ago. The importance of that was to put that into future needs. Land banking is very important. I can guarantee that there will be residential development on that, and I can guarantee in the next four years we'll be taking on the planning of that. We're currently building in Gunnison, but we got to keep working towards other opportunities. Thank you very much, Mr. Houck. Uh, Ms. Vader. Yep, housing, it's about the housing. So the... Um, private developer, um, the private developer obviously could not get the housing built at the low density because he couldn't make money at it. And yet the county went and spent $1.8 million 
to buy the property across the street and also spent $1 million um, to buy Shady Island. It may have been a better investment to uh, pony up that money for that private um, developer and we'd probably have something building right now at Brush Creek. Thank you. Um, Liz, please. Yeah, I inquired about this actually um, with our county manager just to see like what the distance was and it wasn't just one or two million dollars, it was 14 to 16 million dollars. Um, that was the deficit or the difference that the county would have had to pony up and we just didn't have it. Um, and so I would say that I'm hopeful because that developer is now working on a project in Gunnison City, which is a paintbrush lot, 20, lot 22. And I think that we'll be able to see as a community whether this is um, something that can be replicated, if this is a good fit for the community and perhaps being tested there might yield some new opportunities to revisit Brush Creek. Otherwise, I have to say that um, just watching all of this unfold as a citizen bystander, um, I, I think that what we witnessed was a need for some of the municipalities to take the charge on what works for their areas and not the county. Thank you, Liz. Uh, Mr. Taylor. Uh, I believe that the $1.8 million invested in land bank could have been much better used to build affordable housing now. We need affordable housing now, not four to six years down the road. So I think that purchase was ill-advised. Not that land banking isn't valuable, but we could have put that money to much better use by putting it into affordable housing now. I think we need to open Brush Creek back up and rediscuss the issue, get everyone back at the table and decide if we can get anything done. If we can't get anything done, I think the county needs to evaluate uh, selling their position in that land, either to the other three partners, or look at putting that land on the open market and use those funds to invest in housing where we can build it now. Thank you very much, Mr. Taylor. Mr. Hawk, you had something to add. Yeah, I, I think it's worth noting. I, it, it seems very simplistic on paper. Take 1.2, 1.8, put it together, you got three million, go build some housing with it. Uh, as anyone that's worked on affordable housing has gotten deep into it, sad to say, $3 million doesn't go that far. And the way we're going to build housing in this community is one, providing land. And we're building on land that was put away years ago and it's being put into play right now. The purchase of the 13 acres um, off of Highway 135 across from Brush Creek was essential. The, va the value of that land will continue to grow and be unobtainable over time. We were able to good financial work at the county to have the resources to purchase that land. And I think it's also important to understand density is gonna be the key. And you have to have the ability to have density. And that's what backed us off from the Brush Creek piece is we had, we were providing land at a very reasonable price. The, all the, 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 the effort was coming from a private developer and they have to have margins in order to make it work. And there comes a point and there comes a place where it doesn't make sense. We didn't, the, the, the developer had to step away from the project. Now he's doing 76 units on five acres in Gunnison. We're gonna see what that density looks like as a community. We're gonna get to see how that kind of process plays out. Having land is essential though for, for future projects. Thank you very much, Mr. Houck. Now another uh, question from our audience, please, Mr. Jim Starr. <laughs> yeah, that's you, <laughs> you know. 
You with the mask on. <laughs> Thanks, Dennis. Uh, Jim Starr, I've been involved with affordable housing and an advocate for affordable housing for 30 years plus now. As I see it, the major problem with moving forward with developing more affordable housing is lack of dedicated source of funding. Now the town of Crested Butte has come up with a dedicated source. The town of Mount Crested Butte has done the same through tax increases approved by the voters. Four years ago, the county was asked to increase their taxes to create a dedicated source of funding for affordable housing, and it failed. My question to each of you is, would you be willing to put this back on the ballot for another question to the voters so that we finally have a countywide dedicated source of funding for affordable housing? Thank and you, Jim. I have a follow-up question. You want them to tackle this one, though, right? Okay, let's start with Liz. I am all for finding ways that we can get dedicated funding streams for affordable housing. Um, what that looks like in practice, I've never been a sitting commissioner trying to get something, uh, you know, approved as a ballot measure. So that's something that I'm happy to look into and revisit. I just haven't done that process before. Um, I, I would say that as well, um, when it comes to housing, one of the things I think that we need to look into is, is short-term rentals and how we can maybe find a sweet spot for taxation purposes that could create a dedicated fund for affordable workforce housing. And you know that's a really tricky issue because it has to either be voted on again by the public or um, we have to be able to reclassify that type of property in a way that makes sense for people and doesn't really isolate people who are only doing short-term rentals for a very small portion of the year, maybe like a month or a week of the whole year, and we don't want those people to be penalized. So it has to be done in a smart and thoughtful way. Thank you. Um, Trudy? Yes, yeah, so 60% of the houses in, in Gunnison ha County, less than 60% are occupied full-time, and I think Liz is hitting a good point on that VRBO and a way to get uh, do taxation, and I agree with that, that if you're doing VRBO or uh, a short-term rental in your home for 30 days that, you know, you shouldn't be taxed, but I think after that point in time, we've got to look at a tax or a licensing process uh, to, to collect taxes on that because that becomes a business at that point in time. So, and I would also um, like to ask um, Mr. Haug, uh, we, we're saying that we cannot use the, um, the TAP money. My question is, could we go back to the public? Because I think they would have an, an appetite for considering a tax based upon lodging to help us build um, affordable housing in our community. Mr. Hawk, do you right. want to answer? I got two questions. I got Trudy's question, I've got his question. Which way you want to go and how much time do I get? Jeez <laughs> almighty, you're asking me the hard questions? <laughs> Um, why don't you answer Trudy real quick sure. while it's pointed? Sure, I'll take a quick seven. So, so Trudy, I think that the, the straight answer to your question is we can go back to the, the voters, mm -hmm. and but the voters approved a, a local marketing district, and in state statute, clear defined boundaries of what you can and can't do with it, you cannot build housing with it. We did go to the voters and ask them to raise the county tax for housing, yeah. and the voters said no. Now, if you give me a minute to answer Jim's question. You got a minute. All right. 
So let me get my little timer going here because it makes it a lot easier to, to keep track. So uh, one thing that I've done as a commissioner is really dive deep into us being represented in Denver in the legislative process. And Susan, this is going to come back to your question about housing and all these folks here. Um, we've seen the growth of short-term rentals, and there's two types of short-term rentals we see in this community. We see folks who utilize their own personal property, maybe rent it out for the month of July. It helps them on the, on the income side. We don't want to penalize those people. But what we do want is to look at people who are buying up properties in, in, in all across Colorado but in our county and turning short-term rentals into commercial operations. At the state level, we tax residents about 7% on property tax, 29% at commercial. John Mesner and I worked very hard on a piece of legislation that we got some bipartisan support on, which was to be able to change and classify full-time short-term rentals as commercial properties. Then you could tax them, property tax, at 29%. Guaranteeing, though, that the counties would be required to take the, the difference between 7%, 29%, and apply a portion of that to affordable housing. It's putting the burden on where the time is responsible for. But we were able to get a business license bill passed that Gunnison County introduced at the state legislature that allows us to do a business license like you had spoke to, Trudy. So that's in effect now, and we can do business licensing for short-term rentals. Thank you, uh, Jonathan. Mr. Taylor, you have the end of this particular... Jim, thanks for the question. I want to read verbatim from the response I gave to the Gunnison Times to their questions. Our, count, our current county commission is underperformed in this area. We purchased 1.8 million worth of land in Crested Butte where housing is probably a long way off. This was ill-conceived. The subsidy to build housing that is affordable is significant. I will shake every money source at the county level to help but the solution will ultimately be with the taxpayer. We need a steady funding source, bonds or sales tax, and this will require the will of the voter as it should. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Jim, you had a follow-up, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, thanks. Uh, this is a bit of a follow-up to Susan's question. It's for Dave. Uh, it wasn't quite answered last time. I'll ask a little more detail here. I understand, <clears throat> pardon me, that you own a rental property in Gunnison at Denver and Main Street. Most of the windows have broken panes, and it looks like tenants have to cover holes with cardboard or insulation from the inside. In an article published in the Gunnison Country Times in April of 2017, in response to this situation, you said you would replace the windows because, quote, it's the right thing to do. It really needs it, quote. That was three years ago. Why haven't you replaced those windows yet? And can you promise you will before winter? Let's see, Mr. Taylor. Jim, good question, and I respect your concern. Uh, the tenant is responsible for replacing the windows that are broken. However, I absolutely uh, guarantee to you those windows will be fixed within the next two weeks. Now, let me tell you something else about that rental property. Mount Ararat is warm, has running water, no leaky roofs, and our average rent in that project is $487 a month. That is no excuse for not repairing those windows. I have 
rent-controlled my own property. I defy anyone. They're, they're getting $950 a month at the ABC Motel for a one-room hotel room without any kitchen. So I, I am guilty of not fixing those windows, and I am proud of how I have kept rent rents down on 13 units. Thank you, Mr. Taylor, and thank you, Mr. Starr. This is KBUT Community Radio for the entire Gunnison Valley. I'm Christopher Biddle. Thanks for tuning in tonight. We're listening to a broadcast of the Crested Butte News Candidates Forum, the four candidates running for two seats on the Gunnison Board of County Commissioners here in 2020. Let's get back to the debate, which was moderated by Dennis Hall of the Crested Butte News. Uh, I have a couple of questions that were submitted to me. Uh, and I assume that these go to um, Ms. Vader and uh, Mr. Taylor. The question is, uh, are you comfortable with the mission of the new second homeowner pack that at one time said it wanted to raise $3 million to be used to influence county policy? For the two of you being supported by the new PAC, uh, what is it that they want you to do or promote as commissioner? That's to Ms. Vader and Mr. Taylor. Ms. Vader, would you care to start? Sure. Um, by the way, Jim Starr, Paula says, hey, you solicited money from second homeowners for both her and Hap during her, uh, their election runs. So this is nothing new with second homeowners providing money. However, they're not providing money to me. I have a cap of $99 per individual. I probably have less funding than anybody on this um, panel right now as far as um, funding for elections. This is what I've told the homeowners and anybody else. I'm 110% unaffiliated. I will make decisions based upon priority needs and at some point in time, I'm likely going to make a decision that you're not going to like, but it'll always be, be based upon the priority needs for the community. Thank you. Mr. Taylor. Thanks for the question. My original advocacy for property owners was that there is one kind of property right. There is not a different kind of property right for a part-time homeowner and a full-time owner, there is one property right. And this problem has been solved in, uh, in any level of the coronameter as it is written now. There is no exclusion or uh, identification of two types of property owners. If we get to the red status in COVID, everyone who owns property will be able to access their property at their will. Problem solved. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Do we have any other questions from the, yes, we have someone right here. Thank you. Could you state your name, please? Hi, good evening. My name is Neil Watko, and uh, I'm a property owner in Gunnison Valley. And uh, one thing I would like to say before I ask the question is, uh, year, two years ago, I wrote to the Crested Butte newspaper stating that VRBOs beyond one, 
one month's time should be, and they are a business and should be taxed as a business, not only on real estate taxes, but also the income that they bring in. So uh, I, I second anything that uh, uh, the council or the, um, the county brings into this uh, environment. And it should be used also for uh, additional housing. My question to both Jonathan and Liz uh, is, since you brought GV2Hs, how do you plan on working with them and their issues to Ms. Vader and Mr. Taylor, is that correct? No, that's oh. Jonathan and Liz. To Jonathan and Liz, okay. Yes. Jonathan, do you want to take it? Sure, so as soon as I heard uh, the rumblings about the GV2H group uh, starting, I reached out, got contact information, and, and had a long conversation with Mr. Moran, or maybe I should say he had a long conversation with me. Did a lot of listening. Um, you know, the time I've been a commissioner, I've worked a lot with second homeowners, and, and I really think that the GV2H group does not represent the overwhelming uh, position of most second homeowners. And what I've heard from most second homeowners uh, is that when the Board of County Commissioners and the elected officials are taking care of the needs of the community, in turn, their needs are being addressed as well. The amenities and the things that they expect and the level of service they expect when they're here for the community that they've invested in, that they are part of, and that they are uh, you know, enmeshed into, they want to have that ability to be here. This situation was completely unique and different. It was a two and a half week uh, ban on folks coming back up to their second homes. And it was a tough thing to do. It was the right thing to do. And I think what was really difficult is some of the messaging around it was wrong, but the ask was absolutely essential. And I have spent a good chunk of my summer individual phone calls, text, emails with second homeowners walking through that process. And if I have some more time with another question, I can talk about what that looked like. Thank you, Mr. Hawk. Um, Ms. Smith. So when it comes to the GB2H pack, a lot of the, the conversations I've had with second homeowners are with those who say it doesn't represent them. Some of them have even donated to my campaign because they are so opposed to what that pack initially presented itself as, which was unaffiliated, bipartisan, doesn't have a political bent. And when they, when they got in there, they found out that it was, it was just the opposite. So I think that as a, as a county and as a board, we are working with second homeowners and we welcome them. We understand that they are essential here. The pack is, a little, is something a little bit different. And if anybody goes to their website and looks at what their established goals are, one of which is to establish a permanent presence in our local politics, from out-of-state second homeowners, I think that there are a lot of people in this community that bristle at that and, and do not like that idea. So I just want to make that distinction that that GV2H pack cannot be said to represent all of second homeowners here. Okay. Thank you, Liz. And the second part of the question is, I have uh, investment property in uh, Boulder County, and we received a landowner's ballot in regards to taxing in Boulder County. Would you be open to allowing ballots to second homeowners? Jonathan, go is this for, for every. Is this for every every member of the panel? Yes. All right. 
So, you know, it's interesting that the only conversation I've had about that is with a, a former colleague of mine, Joe May. She was a county commissioner in San Miguel County, and Mountain Village has a, a piece similar to that. And, you know, uh, hearing her describe the challenges with that, it was very splintering for that community because what it, what it did is it changed uh, really what democracy looks like. Any person that owns a piece of property in Gunnison County can choose to register to vote and make Gunnison County their full-time residence. That's, it's, a, it's a foundational bedrock piece of uh, democracy, one person, one vote. And so for me, uh, to the general broad issue of should people be able to vote in two places, my answer to that is no. Thank you, Mr. Hauck. Ms. Vader. I'm in agreement with Mr. Hauck. Okay. Uh, Liz Smith. I guess I had never heard of anything like that, so I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and express some amazement uh, that by virtue of owning more than one piece of property, a person would have more than one vote in different locations. Is that correct? Do I have that right? That's correct, yes. Both, so both the renter and as an owner, they get to vote on the same issue. I think that what we're seeing with wealth inequality already in the United States we do have already a lot of people speaking with their money and also in PACs. And so I would say I'm opposed to additional voices through multiple ballots. Thank you, Ms. Smith. Mr. Taylor, please. I, I strongly agree with Jonathan. There is only one type of property right and there is only one type of voting right. You do not get differentiation between the two. I agree with Jonathan. If you, you can choose to vote in any property you own, you cannot choose to vote in two properties you own. And I absolutely respect the property taxes that our people pay, our second homeowners pay, but they have to respect the fact that they have to choose one place to vote. Thank you, Mr. Taylor, and thank you. Nothing, thank you. Um, Ma'am, please state your name. Hi, my name is Melissa Mason. I actually work here at the Center for the Arts. So excited to have you guys here this evening. Um, I actually have a couple questions. If you have time, I'll let Mark tell me. Say good. Two questions. Sure. Um, the first one is there, the coronavirus and COVID has splintered our community in some ways. Some people are very big advocates of opening back up so that businesses can operate and the economy is not um, as affected. And other few people feel very strongly that we have to be very careful and take the needs of people who may be immunocompromised or everything else to keep people safe. Um, where do you, each of you fall on that sort of scale, um, one extreme versus the other? Mr. Taylor. I absolutely favor helping those who are most vulnerable protect themselves. But I do believe that involves a little bit, uh, it, it involves their responsibility to keep themselves safe. So I, I advocate shopping hours for seniors. I advocate certain times when those who are most vulnerable can access our community services. I believe the virus has been proven to be less significant 
to those people under the age of 65. And I think we need to start moving toward loosening uh, the restrictions for those under 65 while recognizing the health and safety of those most vulnerable. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Ms. Smith. When we talk about how much impact COVID-19 has had, I would like to just remind everybody that to date, over 200,000 people in the United States have died. And we were the third most infected county in the nation per capita in March when we shut down. And we have seen that that decisive action has been good for everybody. It's been good for community health, and it has been the best possible outcome for businesses as we've seen with, I think, a more robust tourism season than anybody could have expected. That's not to say businesses are hurting, but it does, I think, reinforce the point that we need to continue being, we need to continue to stay safe so that we can stay open and realize that it's not just vulnerable communities. This is our schools. This is people who are essential workers. These are people who don't necessarily have a choice. And so for that reason, I think that we continue to trust the data and research-driven policies of our public health experts. Thank you, Ms. Smith. Ms. Vader. I think there's different interpretations of what the um, health and research is saying. Um, this is hard. People in their businesses are suffering. And yes, we do have to be very careful but I think we need to very gently and very slowly start to step it up and have a plan. If it doesn't look like it's going to work, then come back to the 50%. But at this point in time, I think we ought to take a look at maybe stepping up to 60, maybe stepping up to 75, not full opening, but give our um, businesses a little bit of relief in this process as we try to move forward, because we have no idea how long. And people in the businesses are suffering. I know we had a big year, um, thankfully. I don't think any of us predicted that. But we have winter coming, and we need to be looking at something. If not, then we need to find some other solutions for businesses that are suffering, like um, maybe forgiveness forgiveness of um, penalties on property taxes and stuff for a while something to help them. We've got to step forward and start looking at ways to help. Thank you, Ms. Vader. Mr. Hauk. Sure. I think, uh, you know, I've, I've been with this since day one as a sitting commissioner uh, working with this issue. And the way I've approached it is there's two things unfolding as, as emergencies at the same time. There's a public health emergency and there's economic emergency. And those are the lenses we view this through. I've always viewed it through the health lens first, the public health lens, with the, with the economic lens right behind that. Point being is that uh, I believe in science, I believe in medical expertise, and what I do know is that what we've done as a county has worked. As hard and gut-wrenching as some of these decisions have been, they have worked. And we can't just kind of spitball, let's go to 60% or maybe 70. The state health order overlies ours. We are one of the five least restrictive counties in Colorado right now. If we go one more week without having any significant bumps in our metrics, we'll have the ability to consider a 5% increase, for example, in capacity within our restaurants. We're doing the right work. We're rowing in the same direction together. Um, we're in this for a while. And my commitment to the community is what I've been doing since this started, I will continue to do. I will put people's health and safety first, but never leave behind 
the economic piece that's unfolding for us as well. That's why we've been fighting for support through the CARES Act and additional funding from federal and state places, especially for our businesses on Main Street and Elk Avenue. This is KBUT Community Radio for the entire Gunnison Valley. Heard at 90.3 KBUT Crested Butte, 88.7 KGNI Gunnison, 94.9 at Almont and Jack's Cabin, and online at kbut.org. This is a rebroadcast of the Crested Butte News Candidates Forum 2020. It was recorded at the Center for the Arts in Crested Butte before a very small live audience. It was hosted by moderator Dennis Hall. Incumbent Democrat Jonathan Houck is facing Republican Dave Taylor. Liz Smith, also an incumbent Democrat, is facing an unaffiliated candidate, Trudy Vader. Don't forget you can get more coverage on the 2020 election here in Gunnison County by heading on over to kbut.org. Let's get back to the debates. Um, my other question has to do with mental health. And um, we're, we have a very high suicide rate in our county. And it seems that there are a lack of resources here that go along with that crisis. And so I'm not exactly sure, even though my husband is a county commissioner, <laughs> how the county um, plays into that. But what is your take on this crisis overlaid COVID and everything else in relation to what we were talking about in just this last question? Uh, Mr. Taylor, you grabbed it, so go. You know, I, we each have our part in, in the mental health crisis. I made a decision five years ago that my uh, effort as far as children's mental health was to drive a school bus. I came out of a suicide meeting, I turned to my friend and I said, Phil, I wanna get involved with our kids. And if I build a relationship with a kid at seven years old, 10 years old, 11 years old, maybe I could be the one to lend a helping hand when things got tough. So that is how I personally have done that. And I think we all need to jump in to the cause and find our own personal way to reach out to somebody who may be having problems. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Liz? This is very personal to me, um, Bill. My husband is in the audience and he lost his brother in July in part because of the mental health repercussions of the shutdown and COVID-19 and that's been traumatic for our whole family. I know we're not alone. I'm also somebody who's been working at Western for the past three and a half years and we've had two student suicides on campus, one recently this summer. I have seen, I have seen how students have become more and more anxious and depressed in the years I've had teaching in the classroom. And I've had several conversations with people like Joni Reynolds and Carrie Comerford in the, um, in the county to work through what can be done. One of the issues is funding in terms of getting more access, but uh, Carrie Comerford and I talked about some integrative possibilities between GBH, Western, uh, Center for Mental Health, these things that we can collaborate on more as a community and move forward strategically together. I think that that's something that I'd be very interested in working on. Thank you, Ms. Smith. Uh, Ms. Vader. So this is something that I had experience with um, when I went to Cripple Creek because the mental issues were um, 
the number one priority with the students there. Uh, a lot of domestic abuse, drugs, um, child abuse, homelessness, so forth. And um, so it is about collaborating, getting the stakeholders in the room together to make, dis um, make good decisions. And my part, uh, what we did is within um, three months of me being there, uh, we got a collaborative group together and funded three full-time counselors, uh, mental health counselors in the school, so at no cost to the parents. So I think some sort of model because uh, uh, definitely dealing with people that don't have the resources to pay for uh, mental health counseling. But again, getting all the stakeholders in, in the Gunnison community together to sit down and have a quick, serious conversation and um, put things out quickly, but get um, counseling to the people that need it and can't afford to get it. Thank you, Ms. Vader. Mr. Howe. Yeah, this one's, um, this one's hard for me. Um, my mom committed suicide when I was eight. My aunt committed suicide. A couple years ago, my good friend Sam uh, here committed suicide. I spent a lot of the work I've done as a teacher, uh, the work I did with GCSAP, um, and the work I've done as a commissioner to provide resources, and not just in a time of a pandemic. But these are desperately needed services. I'm really happy about some of the legislative bills that we were able to help get passed over the last couple of years that increased funding statewide for mental health, where some of those made their way back to Gunnison County, uh, included more hotline and, and instant ability for people to connect via phone with a real live voice. Uh, we increased the amount of funding we got for regional mental health as reflected with the Center of mental, for Mental Health. Um, both of those bills are really important. Also, what it does is it prevents people from, that when they're having mental health emergencies, just being put in jail. And, we, and it's not a place for, for someone who needs help. And so, um, long road to go um, in these issues. But remember that things that contribute to the stressors of life, that contribute to people's mental health um, challenges, include some of the things we do as basic services, housing, food insecurity, access to, to, to good health care, um, livable wages. Those things are important to people's overall health and especially their mental health. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Howell. Thank you. Another question. Uh, Roland Mason again. Um, so I appreciate the conversation around economic development and tourism. I would like to ask a question how each of you would address and help the agricultural community uh, that we have in Gunnison County. This is a you know, long-standing uh, commercial. Uh, lots of people work in the industry. How would each of you help them survive and thrive in Gunnison County? Thank you. Let's start with somebody who has a stake in that question, uh, Ms. Vader. I think um, the number one priority, obviously grazing, and, and there's uh, Ranchers are scared to death about losing their grazing permits. Um, but I think more important than that, the number one concern in agriculture in this community is water. It's the water rights, maintaining the water rights, um, uh, as, and we got uh, the fracking over on the Sorry. west side, um, Somerset uh, Marble. I know people are worried about their water rights that direction, but also the conservation of water. And I think uh, we need to be working with NRCS and, and organizing groups. I know on our Griffin Ditch, um, I just put in a $150,000 grant-funded project, and I'm working with uh, the ranchers on my ditch. 
that whole Griffin ditch that subs so terribly and it's so dry that the water's just going in in order to build um, structures and methods in order to make water conservation easier for all of us. So protect the water rights and start putting structures in to conserve the water. Thank you, Ms. Vader. Ms. Smith. Yeah, I think that water is one of the most important issues that I've heard again and again and again. And uh, we are hopefully in the process of acquiring a free Doppler radar that can help us with better water prediction and management. And I think that that's going to be of benefit to the ranching community. Another thing that I've been pursuing and, and looking into is the possibility. I just, when I moved out here, I was like, why doesn't Western have an agricultural component to the school? And as I talked with o Polly Oberosler about this, she had told me that in, to, in 2012, it looked like it was on the cusp of happening, that CSU was going to give their curriculum to Western. And I think that that would be something that would be really great to revitalize our ranching community because I hate hearing from ranchers saying that they're sending their kids to schools in Texas because it's cheaper. And when we have all of the things to make something like that happen right here. So I think that, that with my connections to Western, this is something that I'd be very interested in pursuing. Thank you, Ms. Smith. Mr. Taylor. You know, I look at this from the business side. Uh, the problem with cattle ranchers being successful is the price of cattle. Uh, the whole structure of the cattle industry is stacked against the cattle raiser. You have two companies who probably have 90% of the kill capacity in the United States. I am not accusing them of price fixing, but I am uh, acknowledging the huge amount of leverage that they have over a very diverse selling population. And quite frankly, the deck is stacked business-wise against the rancher to be successful. Yes, we need to protect their grazing rights. Yes, we need to work on their water. But the overall problem with cattle ranching is the economics of the business. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Mr. Houck. Sure, this is probably one of the areas that I've spent the most amount of my time as a commissioner is working on issues for the ag community. Um, personally, my, my family farmed the same piece of land on the Eastern Shore of Maryland for close to 200 years. My grandfather was the last one to be a farmer. And when it's gone, it's gone. It doesn't come back. And that's an important thing to remember about ranching in the Gunnison Valley. Um, it, it's really an economic driver uh, for what it puts into the economy. Uh, it's very much tied to water. That's why I represent the county on the, on the Basin Roundtable. But these planning efforts, Forest Service plan revision right now, grazing is always in, in, in the crosshairs. BLM, their RMP plans, it's, it's the same. You know, I, I have worked <coughs> extensively making sure that the Gunnison sage-grouse didn't get listed as an endangered species. It's listed as threatened. If it gets listed as endangered, we're we're really gonna be challenged for grazing. And, and I would say I'm really happy and honored that I've earned the, you know, the support of Burton and Sandy Guerreri and Bill Trampy and Lee Ken and Andy Spann, Doug and Jan Washburn, uh, Greg Peterson, Bill, uh, Bruce Allen, Tim and Michelle Lehman, Jim Cochran. And a lot of the ranching community is actively supporting my reelection because I've been on the ground doing the work uh, that makes a difference in them staying here. This is KBUT Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. We are volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio since 1986.
Tonight, we bring you a broadcast of the Crested Butte News Candidates Forum 2020, moderated by Dennis Hall of the Crested Butte News, who will ask the next question. Uh, when questioned about the practicality of putting in a boat ramp, park, and campground at the Shady Island development north of Gunnison, you said the project would be paid for by the Corps Act. Um, the question is in two parts. What's wrong with the current river access? And the second part is what happens if the Corps Act doesn't pass? Sure. So uh, real quick, the, the, the problem with the current access, everyone knows where it is. It's right there on Highway 135. Uh, CDOT is increasingly ready to pull the plug because of the volume of traffic. And if anyone's watched how much, not just our locals for their own personal recreation, but guides, outfitters, uh, it's, not, it's not a workable situation there from a safety standpoint. We were able to purchase for $1.2 million that parcel known as, as Shady Island. And what we do know is that a provision of the CORAC attached to the Curacani bill requires the Bureau of Reclamation to make good on the remaining amount of river frontage they are required to purchase that was lost when Blue Mesa was developed. Now, when we spent that money, we know that there's a potential that if the Core Act does not pass, so that provision within the Core Act is stripped, that that money has been spent. The community was very clear about the importance of infra in infrastructure for recreation. It's part, it's a, one of our big economic drivers, it's not our only one, but the ability to have safe access to the river and for fishing and for recreation is important, and the ability to provide that is something that the community has made a priority. Thank you, Mr. Houck. You're listening to a broadcast of the Crested Butte News Candidates Forum 2020 here on KBUT, community radio for the entire Gunnison Valley. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get back to the debate where the candidates are about to start their closing arguments. All right, are there any other questions from the audience? If not, I'm going to give them... Uh their closing statements, which you will have one minute. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, we started with Mr. Taylor on opening statements. That means we'll start with closing. started with me on opening start statements. with you. Mr. Taylor, open our closing no, statement. No, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. That was the other night. We've had, we've had like four debates. I keep getting these mixed up. <laughs> Confuse me here or what? Uh, all right. Well, we're going to go with Mr. Taylor since he's got his mask off and he's ready to rock and roll. Could you give us your closing <laughs> statement, please, sir? Let's do it. I want to get into a couple things that, that we didn't cover. Roads, roads, roads. Close. I believe a primary purpose of government is to provide us with infrastructure and public safety. Our road budget, not a road budget, our road expenditures for the last five years have averaged $5 million and have not increased. We need to find more money for our roads. Environmental airport, we have been allotted too much money to uh, redo our airport. I advocate finding as much of that, those uh, grant dollars to put in to renewable energy that we can put on the airport. Um, hey, thanks for the forum tonight. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Ms. Smith. Well, thank you so much for having us. And I've learned a lot this evening. And I just wanted to touch base on this uh, $26 million that we do have for the airport, because this is CARES Act funding from the FAA. It cannot be reallocated anywhere else. And we got that because we're a county that's really good at project management and, and finishing up our grants. And so I think Denver earned the most money for the, from the CARES Act FAA 
second was Colorado Springs, and third was Gunnison. And I think we should all sit here for a minute and say that's pretty remarkable. And it says a lot about the success of our county. Um, I can tell you from experience that being an effective county commissioner is time consuming. If you want a commissioner who is going to be a public servant, who will learn the issues you care about inside and out, one who will make this their full-time job and work tirelessly for the people of Gunnison County, I am that candidate and I hope to earn your support this November. Thank you, Ms. Smith. Um, Ms. Vader, please. Well, it's definitely been a good forum. I am a little disappointed that uh, we didn't hit on a lot of subjects that are um, priority needs. Uh, one of the su subjects is the toxic water in Somerset and the TTHM, uh, which just poisonous to the water and older people and children cannot drink that. Um, I'd like to see uh, better action from the county and uh, my concerns about the Golden Eagle decision, and obviously Span's names have been um, mentioned often, and uh, another person that um, my opponent was closely related with, Wondine, on that. While the county um, board, the county um, planning board uh, had put that through full, and uh, we had one commissioner vote that down, it was pretty shady on how that got through. Um, the housing crisis, we've talked about that a lot, but we need to remember that um, this county and this, uh, my opponent, is we are only at 48% building um, the capacity of what they stated they, they were gonna put in. And at this point in time, the people that are most affected by that are 40 and, and under, and they are the ones that are also in that six to 10, um, six out of 10 people who are not um, making more than $30,000 a year based upon the tourism. And if you want somebody that's gonna focus on priority needs that are, and crisis needs, I ask you to vote for me so that we can get things done in a timely manner. Thank you very much, Ms. Vader. Mr. Houck. Sure, well thanks for uh, the opportunity this evening. Thanks everyone. You know, much of not just this debate, but the previous ones we've had have been talking about the issues of political makeup of the board and the issues of balance. And you know, I counter that the citizens of Gunnison County have consistently by their vote kept the board balanced by electing prepared and dedicated and thoughtful candidates. And you know, for the last 20 years, if you look at the boards, some have been majority Republican, some have been majority Democrat. For the last two years, it's, it's three Democrats. But decision-making's always remained focused on issues and outcomes uh, that's best for the folks of Gunnison County. Um, so what you're really being asked to do is pick the best prepared, most skilled person in each district to do the work necessary to keep moving us forward. And as I stated in my opening remarks, the challenges that we're facing uh, continue to be really difficult. Uh, we have to chart our path through the COVID epidemic. We have to continue to work on housing and partnerships with the towns and our anchor institutions. Um, our water future is really daunting because of impacts of climate change, but public lands pressures. But, you know, I've been doing my best to lead and produce uh, results for you. I've been a steady hand on the wheel, and, and I look forward to continuing this work on your behalf, and I humbly ask for your vote and support in the upcoming election. Thank you very much, Mr. Houck. That's going to wrap it, folks. I want to thank everybody, the multitude of people that showed up. I also want to thank the Center for the Arts, the Crusty Butte News, KBUT Radio, certainly our candidates, and thank you to the audience, all you brave souls. One more message, please. Get all your friends together and go vote.
Thank you very much. Stay healthy. And so concludes our broadcast of the 2020 Crested Butte News Candidates Forum here on KBUT. We appreciate you tuning in tonight. If you want to learn more about the upcoming election, candidates, voting procedures, and more, go to kbut.org. That's also where you can find recordings from other debates, highlights, and full audio. My name's Christopher Biddle. Make sure to tune in every weekday morning here on KBUT as I am your live morning edition host. Have a wonderful evening, Gunnison Valley.